on today's episode. And I thought, I could be like Billy. I could get those girls. All I need is a guitar. He's hungry, he's tired, and he, oh, smells something cooking out of that cave. Something is, somebody's got a barbecue going on. All kinds of tales. From all kinds of tellers. Here on The Appleseed. It's time for The Appleseed. In each episode of the show, we bring you a couple of stories from favorite storytellers. The stories will entertain you, they'll inspire you, they'll get you thinking, and even help your family tell your own stories. I'm Sam Payne. On today's episode, we'll listen to the stories and music of two great performers, the Reverend Robert B. Jones and Andy Offutt Irwin. And first, a story from Reverend Jones, who hails from Detroit, Michigan, home of Motown and an important center of jazz and the blues. Robert will tell us about the importance blues played in his formative years as a young man and as a musician. Did you ever want something because you hoped it would make you cool? Then this might be a story for you. Have you ever had a trusted elder help you negotiate the trickier parts of life? Then this is a story for you. Did you ever solve a desperate situation by remembering your roots? Well, then this is a story for you. Here's Robert B. Jones with a story he calls B.B. King, recorded live in the Appleseed Studio. Thank you so much. Thank you. Well, you know, my grandmother had a wonderful life, and she was so influential in terms of helping me become the man that I am today. And part of that influence had to do with her her record listening, her, her music listening. She loved the blues, right? And anything that I wanted to get, she was more than happy to help me get it. So one day, as we were going down south... We, uh, we were on a Greyhound bus, and there was a kid on that bus, and his name was Billy, as I recall. Billy must have been about 13 or 14, because he was, he, was, he was wrestling with puberty. You know, as he was singing, his voice was cracking. And, and, and Billy had a guitar. It was like... Keep a white clothes on it, hard man. And it was like cool because Billy improbably was surrounded by girls. They was like, oh, sing, Billy. And he was singing too. He was, he was squeaking, but he was singing. And I thought, I could be like Billy. I could get those girls. All I need is a guitar. And I knew that my grandmother would help me get one if I asked her. So I went home. I said, Grandma, can I get a guitar? She said, how much money you got? (laughs) And I said, I got about $50 saved up. And she said, well, I got about $50 I can let you have. But before we go down to that pawn shop, I want you to remember one thing. What's that? If you see something that you like, don't act no fool. What does that mean? (laughs) Don't act like you like it. I say, okay. So we went down to the pawn shop. Not just any pawn shop. But if you're from Detroit, you know that there's a pawn shop called Ziedman's Loans. Been around since the 1800s. And they got everything you need. Power tools. Furs. Jewelry. Guns. Shotguns. Rifles. 
Rolexes with one L or two. So when I went there and I asked, and the guy said, lady, what you looking for? And he said, my son likes the guitar. He wants to, he wants to buy a guitar. He said, lady, this guitar up here is the finest guitar in the place. It's a Madeira. Madeira? Madeira. I saw it for the first time. It was a Madeira, like soft Corinthian leather. I knew I had to have it. And he said, and he said what, did you sound like that one, lady? And she said, put your hand down. I told you don't like the fool. I don't know why he liked that old ugly guitar up there, but he seemed to like that one. How much is it? He said, lady, for you, that, no, that guitar is normally $300, but for you today, I'd sell it to you for $250. And I prepared to be disappointed. But then my grandmother worked her grandmother magic. You know, inside every grandmother's purse, there is a second purse, a little snap purse. Sometimes it is a wad of money rolled up in a handkerchief. And I had let my grandmother hold the money since she was the principal investor. And she went into her little purse and she said, wait a minute, let me see what I got. And she said, 20, 40, 50, 55, 56, 57, 58, 58, 25, 58, 50, 58, 75, 76. By, by the time she got to 82 dollars, he said, lady, forget it, just dang it. <laughs> and I had a Madeira. <laughs> Not that I knew how to play it. Not that I knew how to tune it, but I had a Madeira. It was all that was good in guitars and soft Corinthian leathers. So I went down to this big department store called Hudson's downtown. Hudson's had everything you needed, and one of the things they had was the Roy Clark Big Note songbook. And in the Roy Clark Big Note songbook, they said tune your guitar, had the floppy tuning record, and you put it on the Magnavox, and you tuned up your guitar. And I said, look out, Billy. Here I come. <laughs> because you Because you my Wasn't gonna get no women like that. So I had to look in the Mel Bay Big Note, Roy Clark, Big Note songbook. And I found that there were things called chords. And the first chord that I ran across was called the A minor. And it was a cool sounding chord. And it said, in many songs, the A minor goes with the E7. And with those two chords, I learned my first great song. Well, sit right back and you hear the tale, tale of a faithful trip that started on this tropic port aboard this tiny ship. Yeah, y'all can laugh. But that was my song. I could throw down on it at a moment's notice, play it with endless variations. But I noticed after two or three years, I still wouldn't get no women. In fact, it was having the opposite effect. Girls were starting to run away from me. So I figured I'd better go back to the Mel Bay Big Note songbook and learn two more chords. This time I learned the E natural, but I went with the A7. 
And I found out if you did it right, you could do this. That was the blues. Armed with those two chords, I felt I was pretty much ready for a professional career, if you know what I mean. I got myself a gig at a place called the Soup Kitchen Saloon in downtown Detroit. The home of the blues. Had all kinds of soups, but they specialized in chili. The chili was called Capital Punishment. That's what I'm talking about. And I would take these two chords and, and I'd work a man. And I had this thing called a, a jam session, you know? It's like I, I would host a jam session. I'd have two songs in the beginning, two songs in the middle, and two songs in the end. And it worked out real well until that one night when no other musician showed up. And I had to make this last all night. Sometimes it'd be like, I'm your candy. Buzzing all the time. And then the next song would be like, Come here, baby. Sit down on your on your daddy's knee. And then the next song would be like, Ooh, baby. It was a long night. <laughs> I figured I better learn some more songs. The first thing I did is I learned a seventh song. But it didn't work out too well in the blues bar. It was like, I danced in the morning when the world was begun. And I danced in the moon and the stars and the sun. Danced in heaven and I danced in earth. In Bethlehem I had my... It was a cool song, but it didn't work in a blues bar. I don't know. And everything was cool until... Until... I figured I better learn how to play some more blues. So I started to study the classics. Robert Johnson, Sun House. Willie Brown, Muddy Waters, Howlin' Wolf. But that's when I discovered something. No matter who I played, no matter what I played, people did not want to hear these classics. They only wanted to hear one man. They wanted to hear B.B. King. They said, hey man, play some B.B. I said, I do not play no B.B. King. Fact was, I could not play no B.B. King. B.B. King was a great guitarist, but there was a, a gulf between what he did and what I do. For example, B.B. King had an electric guitar. He could hit a note, go in the back, smoke a cigarette, have a drink, come out, and that note's still going. I gotta work all night. I came to resent B.B. King. B.B. King also could not sing and play at the same time. If you've seen any of that archival footage, you'd be like, Oh, B.B. And then the guitar go off. But he couldn't do both of them. B.B. King did not play chords. He had a guy who was with him for 47 years, didn't do nothing but this. I came to resent that guy, too. So people would say, you play some B.B. King? And I'd get hostile. I'd say, if you put some strings on him and tune him up, I'll play the heck out of him. I was wrong, but I was hostile. Until one night, a beautiful woman came in the room. Man, she was about five foot two and about 187 pounds of something good. Two pounds of woman in a one pound bag. She eased over to the stage, she said, Hey, baby. I said, hey, baby. She said, 
I so do like the way you play. I said, thank you, baby. She said, I wish you would play me some muddy waters. I said, muddy waters? I say, thank you, baby. Says, do you play any Howlin' Wolf? Do I play Howlin' Wolf? I was like... Say, you know who I love? I said, who you love, baby? She said, I love me some Willie Nelson. <laughs> Willie Nelson? Did I tell you she was fine, Sam? I said, maybe I didn't love you quite as often as I could have. But you were always on my mind. You were always on I even tossed a little imaginary braid over my shoulder. She said, oh, baby, you about the finest hunk of ham fat I ever saw. I said, baby, you can just take me home, honey, just as soon as you play me some B.B. King. <laughs> For the first time, I wanted to play B.B. King, and I did not know how. But I tried. I'm a man, right? I faked it. Thrill is gone. Well, the thrill is gone away. Well, the thrill is gone. Thrill is gone away. And I looked up, man, she was going away. And I got desperate. And you know, a man in his desperation, you know what he does? He goes back. He goes back to his fundamental training. He goes back to his roots. My daddy said, son, when you get desperate, you got to go back to what you know. You got to go to our roots. And I went back. I mean, I went all the way back. I said, hey, baby. She said, what? I said, Bo, you leave. Yes. I said, how about this? Well, the thrill is gone, baby. Sit right back and you hear the tale Tale of a fateful trip Well, the thrill is gone Thrill is gone away Seven stranded castaways Here on Gilligan's Isle Well, you've done me wrong You'll be sorry someday I'd learned two important things that night One is that Gilligan's Island and the thrill is gone basically got the same chord changes. But I learned something else. And I always like to leave this with audiences, no matter how old or how young. When you begin to doubt yourself, just remember Robert Jones 
told you this Well, I'm free now Again, he could not play like me. Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> the Reverend Robert B. Jones with his story, B.B. King. I think of that Madeira guitar that Reverend Jones talked about in his story and the help that he got in making that guitar purchase. And it brings back a memory for me of my own first guitar. My younger brother played guitar for a living and had won a guitar as a prize in a contest at a festival somewhere. And since he already owned a guitar, he stopped by my house late one night and gave me the prize guitar as a gift. I was a pretty clumsy player at first, but I got the hang of it. That guitar changed the course of my life. Now I make music every day on the guitar. I've even made music on the Appleseed. It's hard for us to recognize the things that will most change us in the moments in which they're happening. At the time, I didn't imagine that late-night visit from my brother would change my life much at all. But now, seeing the way that it has, it makes me want to go to my brother and tell him so. Thank him for that gift. He sees the change in my life, I imagine. But it seems important to say the words, to tell the story. Has someone ever done something kind for you, given you a gift or encouragement that has changed your life? If so, and if they're still around, and while you can, why not open your mouth and tell them the story of the change? There's power in that. Try it and see. Up next, a story from Andy Offit Irwin on The Appleseed. such a pleasure to be with you on the apple seed a moment ago we heard a story called bb king from the reverend robert b jones and now we'll hear from another teller and musician andy offit Irwin. andy comes from georgia he's a longtime friend of the show and he brings to his storytelling a generous helping of improvisation crazy mouth sounds world-class whistling in fact andy has participated in the world champion whistling competition and of course a lot of good humor it's all on display in just about everything andy does in fact this story which is kind of an extended song came about in kind of a fun way andy asked friends to give him a sentence a line that andy could potentially use to spin a story or song around. And the great Minnesota storyteller Kevin Kling gave Andy the line he was looking for. You've heard Kevin on the show, and his suggestion was the sentence, is the Cyclops winking or blinking? And Andy created what you're about to hear based on what Kevin had said. This is Andy's wacky version of Homer's scene from the Odyssey, where the classic Greek hero Odysseus outwits the dangerous Cyclops Polyphemus. Here's Andy Offit Irwin with Polyphemus, recorded live in the Appleseed studio. 
people sometimes ask me, you know, generally I do original stories, uh, and people sometimes ask me if you have any um, folklore or myths. So uh, I will now perform for you Homer's Odyssey. <laughs> we'll be here till Saturday. Just a rambling boy, Ithaca bound Making my way there from Troy, Alabama Here's an adventure that I found Is the Cyclops winking or blinking That eyeball in his head I listen for sounds of serenity With every word that he has said I notice his squint, his mouth's murky slant. Can I see a friendly glint? No, I can't. And his complimentary mints are covered with ants. <laughs> and his cyclops winking or blinking. Oh. Is a cyclops winking or blinking? How can I read his mood? I wonder what he is thinking. I'm thinking he thinks of me as food. Compared to this giant, I'm a little shrimp. He's putting mascara on his one eye to primp. How can you tell? If a snake has a limp <laughs> And a cyclops winking or blinking Oh Is a cyclops winking or blinking I just want to leave this cave And from the way this cavern is stinking I can tell polyphemus don't never bathe I'm wondering how this drama ends This giant ain't getting no help from his friends But he only pays half for his contact lens <laughs> And his cyclops winking or blinking. This is the end of the instrumental verse. It's not really an instrument, but it could be worse. And if I don't whistle, Sam Payne will curse. <laughs> and his cyclops winking or blinking. What is the cyclops winking or blinking all alone? feels bereft and I saw him try to swat that fly it's clear he cannot perceive depth <laughs> so I stabbed him in the eye yes I know you sometimes you gotta try when there's nothing else to do now I've gotta ride out underneath this you so this is obviously you know Odysseus he's traveling he's on <laughs> He's on his way back to Penelope. He's trying to, he's on that quest, right? And, he, and he's got his fellow travelers and he looks around and there are fewer and fewer fellow travelers and he doesn't know where they are and he comes, he's hungry, he's tired and he, oh, smells something cooking out of that cave. Something is, somebody's got a barbecue going on and he goes into the cave and he finds out that what's cooking are his fellow travelers. I <laughs> know, uh, I know. And then uh, the Polyphemus, the uh, Cyclops, his name is Polyphemus and I know this is a college so I have to do educational stuff. That obviously means... Many Femuses. 
One of y'all will correct me later. It's fi- it should be fi. That would be the plural. And, uh, and Odysseus is uh, standing before Cyclops, and Cyclops wants to eat Odysseus, but Polyphemus is concerned about his food sources. So he says, what is your name? And Odysseus becomes wise to him. He says, nobody. What is your name? Nobody. What is your name? And the whole time, Odysseus pulls out his pocket knife. He starts whittling, 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 whittling. Nobody. And he stabs him in the eye with that stick. <laughs> Nobody stabbed me in the eye. Nobody stabbed me in the eye. And the other, the other giants in the neighborhood go, Nobody has stabbed Polyphemus in the eye. <laughs> Nobody has stabbed Polyphemus in the eye. So I guess Polyphemus ain't stabbed in the eye. <laughs> And then he hides under a sheep. He gets under the sheep. And Polyphemus is so ignorant, he, he ends his sentences with prepositions. So, where are you at? Where are you at? Where are you at? And he's under a sheep. And that sheep happened to be a ewe. And a ewe is a sheep, a female sheep. He's no longer winking or blinking. Oh, he's no longer winking or blinking. <laughs> Polyphemus, a story and song written and performed by Andy Offit Irwin, a wacky take on that moment from Homer's Odyssey. Thanks for joining us on the Appleseed Podcast, and thanks again to Reverend Robert B. Jones and Andy Offit Irwin for their stories and music. Listening to these stories always brings up memories for me that I love to share. Where do the stories take you, and who will you take along? Our episode today was produced by Brian Tanner and Wendy Folsom. Our audio engineer is Carly Wilson. Trent Horton and Evie Hendricks make up the rest of the Appleseed team. We're so thankful to our great listeners. We got a message from a grandmother, Edith Lang, who said, On a long trip to Arizona, my granddaughter was becoming restless. I suggested we listen to the Appleseed podcast. She was instantly hooked. We listened for over six hours. Soon the trip was over. Now, years later, my granddaughter still requests this wonderful podcast. She recounts with fondness a story about peas and carrots. She always laughs at a cat who has learned to speak dog. Thank you for being an important part of our lives. That was such a delight to get that uh, email from Edith Lang. Thanks, Edith. And we love that peas and carrots story from the great North Carolina storyteller Donald Davis and also the dog and cat story told by Antonio Sacre, the terrific L.A. storyteller. So thankful when you leave us notes like that. And, of course, we love it when you rate us and leave reviews on the podcast platform, wherever you listen to the show. You can send us an email at theappleseed at byu.edu. Again, that's theappleseed, all one word, at byu.edu. Those thoughts, those comments, those reviews help to shape the future of the Appleseed and help people find the show. We're pleased and proud to be part of the BYU Radio family of podcasts. And you can find this episode or any episode from our archive on the BYU Radio app at byuradio.org slash Appleseed or by Googling the Appleseed podcast. I'm Sam Payne, and I can't wait to be with you again on the Appleseed.